This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome to Rex Factor. This time, the Battle of the Favourites, live! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, where we are not live in Bristol, but we were in November Mm -hmm. 2018. What was the name of the place? Why can't I remember these? Oh, can I remember the name of the place? It was a cool place. It was very cool. Uh, it was a cool area, in fact, of Bristol. It was sort of the... Very uh, cool. Yeah, very sort of arty. Lots of uh, cool graffiti. Yeah, lots of lovely coffee shops. Uh, the old bookshop. No, that was Oxford. No, Oxford was oh. the old book. No, Oxford was the library. So it was the old bookshop. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I kept making that mistake, didn't I? <laughs> that was a mistake, because they were... It was Bristol, the old bookshop, then Oxford, the library. Yeah. So I was getting confused there. Then we went up north for me to get confused between Manchester and Leeds. Yes. Uh, and then I was just left with Glasgow, which was <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, I don't think I said Edinburgh at any point. No, oh, no. that was good. Right. But we didn't think originally that we were going to be able to record them, but as it turned out... Each and every one of our live shows yeah. has been recorded for posterity. We've had them all um, edited, haven't we, by lovely Jake Sanders, brother yes. of Tom Old of brother. Animation Fame. Indeed. And uh, we've got the whole of this one, because the London one we missed out the first 30 seconds, but this mm-hmm. one I think we've got uh, yep. We've got the beginning. Who was it, this one? So this was uh, a bit of a grudge match for us. It was the Battle of the Fame. Oh, yes, it was. Your favourite of old Hen- uh, Henry VIII, <laughs> <laughs> Edward the First. Oh yes, it's my old favourite, Henry VIII. Um, I was surprised by the outcome. Mm. No spoilers here. No spoilers. Now, after each of the battles, we did a Q and A with mm. the audience. The downside for a live recording is that the audience didn't have microphones. Ah. So apologies to anyone who asked a question and is looking forward to hearing themselves on the podcast because most of you. You mm. won't. Mm-hmm. And we didn't repeat the questions very often. Can we splice it in? So what, I'm, what I'll do yeah. is that for each question, if you absolutely can't hear it and we don't repeat the question, I will insert myself <laughs> approximating what the question is about. Okay, good idea. Yeah. Because then it <laughs> sounds so funny. Graham going... Uh, who is your favourite monarch? <laughs> and Graham replies, well, my <laughs> Well, this will be fun. If you want more um, of us talking about being on tour, then uh, join up to become a privy councillor where we did some tour diaries. So mm-hmm. we took our portable recorder around with us and either uh, backstage, on stage beforehand, mm-hmm. in the car, mm-hmm. in cafes, mm-hmm. having a chat about the night before, the night to come, where we were visiting along the way. Interruptions uh, for me to go and uh, visit a sex shop. That's all explained in the tour diary. Uh, but we can't... Oh, dear. <laughs> we, um, <coughs> well, where am I? Uh, You're in Bristol. I'm in Bristol, yes. Here is Rex Factor live in Bristol for the Battle of the Favourites, Edward I and Henry VIII. 
You're in the old bookshop, Bristol. The time is 7 p.m. Give or take a number of minutes. You just checked that, didn't you? It's Rex Factor, live with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. So welcome to Rex Factor, where we have reviewed all the kings and queens of England and Scots. You normally do that bit. I know, you're doing very well. Well, I was covering. <laughs> Just... Yeah, so thank you everyone so much for coming. This is the second ever uh, Rex Factor Live. We did our first one last night. We did uh, the Battle of the Champions, mm-hmm. Robert the Bruce and uh, Henry II. Yeah. And tonight... Oh, spoiler alert. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> We have recorded it. You will be able to find out. It was quite close, closer than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got a very complex voting mechanism. I don't know if anyone's guessed what that might be yet, but <laughs> we'll explain it later. It's quite complicated. But, Ali, what are we going to be doing tonight? Well, tonight is the Battle of the Favourites, Edward I versus Henry VIII. Uh, <laughs> we're, I'm not at all partisan. Uh, but so, Graham, talk us through how we're going to do it. What's, what's the approach? We're going to... Yeah, so it's like a normal Rex Factor episode. If you've heard any of our playoff episodes, then it's going to be like that. We're going to be looking at Henry VIII, Edward I, their lives and reigns, and then factor by factor, comparing them against each other. And at the end, you will all vote for Henry VIII to be the obvious winner <laughs> because there's not really any contest here. We'll see. We'll see. You agree? Yeah. Huh? Um, so we thought we'd just start off because usually we try to be quite neutral, try not to, you know, give our own opinions away, but I don't think that's going to be possible today. So Ali, I think everyone's wondering this question. Why on earth is Uh Edward the first your favorite? Well, hang on. I'm going to look at you because we normally we look straight at each other. So what I'm going to do is just tilt my seat (laughs) so I can look at your lovely face. The reason I love Edward the first is he is to me, the quintessential medieval monarch. He's got the battliness coming out of his ears and castles. Okay. I mean, he's not so well served maybe to posterity. You know, we'll see. We've got Henry VIII puppet here. Edward has had to be replaced by Robert the Bruce. And uh, in terms of their playing cards, Henry VIII is clearly superior. I mean, Edward can't even stand up straight. He's absolutely rubbish. Oh, you cheeky devil. There you go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even turn him round now. <laughs> oh, how did that happen? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, right. This is why I should be involved in the preparation. <laughs> or shouldn't be. Yes. Uh, well, aside from castles, mm. also, we've got the fabulous Crusades. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a very successful Crusade, but <laughs> it's got just that, that extra element to his story. Uh, as you know, Henry was always desperate to go away and do a bit of battliness, but Edward actually saw it through, and he did. He went and didn't do very well, but but came back, and there was all that assassin stuff. It's just it's a, a boy's own medieval adventure. A little bit anti-Semitic, I'll give you that, but mm. you know, everyone has bad points, even Henry. Well, Henry, we're clearly going to see is the force of personality. He's the reason that everybody gets into. Uh, history in the monarchy. He's the guy you put on the front cover. 
the amazing soap opera story, Six Wives, yeah, but- the Reformation, Holbein portraits, all these incredible people around him. There's just so much colour with Henry and he completely changes English history. In size. Well, yes, that <laughs> that does happen. But that's interesting. You don't want this just robotic, you know, <laughs> same all the way through. Yeah, I, I guess they're both incredibly angry people, which is interesting. Yeah, they've both got issues yeah, to yeah. be resolved. Well, let's have a little look at them and a bit of an overview of their personalities. Edward I was born in 1239, became king in 1272 when he was 33 years old. Well, he's a bit older than than uh, we like. Normally about 21, that's the sweet spot, isn't it? To get a big longevity score. Yes, context for that is quite important, that comment. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's my age, I just realised, 33. Edward is I, it? exactly the same there age as go. me. Yeah, when he was several hundred years ago. He's technically the fourth Edward, but the Saxons didn't actually get numbers. But it was quite unusual to be an Edward because it was an English name. So the Normans never gave English names. So um, he may have been bullied at school, perhaps, to that <laughs> silly name. So perhaps that was what uh, gave him that edge. Yeah. He's a very tall man, about six foot two, uh, nicknamed Longshanks. You're about six two as well. I am six foot two. This is, I, this is turning out a bit I don't weird, know why you're not more, more keen on him. Yeah, I've been thinking about parallels with Henry VIII. I should have been thinking about my own yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. parallels. Yeah. Uh, Blonde-haired and handsome, so it's falling apart a little bit now. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of a drooping eyelid, though. Ah, And a bit of a lisp, apparently. Really? Edward, yeah, Yeah. though quite a nice speaking voice. Um, In terms of his personality and his habits, he's very strong, very athletic. Like you said, he's very much that sort of medieval warrior king, natural athlete, um, incredibly determined, relentless in any of his goals. If he decides he's going to do something. What a lovely trait. He is going to do it. Um, He also has a bit of a temper on him. Mm -hmm. He is a Plantagenet. Um, Some examples of this, um, he once chased one of his uh, close companions across a river with his sword held because said companion lost control of Edward's falcon. Yeah. Oh, lo- I mean, that is the definition of Rex Factor, isn't it? Standing there with your sword held aloft. I mean, he was chasing his best mate, but he was, he was. He was being Mr. Rex Factor. He once had an argument uh, with a clergy which was so strong that an elderly dean at St. Paul's actually died in his presence. <laughs> <laughs> he, that's like a superpower, isn't it? Like Darth Vader giving someone a heart attack just by not touching them. It's brilliant. Bit of an angry man. Yeah. Uh, Henry VIII, on the other hand, is a wonderful Renaissance oh, prince that yeah. we can all get behind. Uh, Henry was born in 1491, became king in 1509, so he's just 17 years old. Bit below the sweet spot. Just shy of turning 18, but he was able to rule uh, as a in his majority straight away. He was also about six foot two. Ah. So two tall monarchs. Mm. Um, strongly resembled his maternal grandfather, Edward IV, apparently. So he was very handsome, 32-inch waist, 40-inch chest, very sort of strong, athletic, mm. handsome young man. And his grandson, Edward III, similar sort of stature, aren't they? No, this is Henry VIII. What? <laughs> We've moved on. Oh, I thought we were doing Edward still. Sorry. <laughs> Great. All right, <laughs> We're good. not going to be talking about Edward I for the entire. Well, you've just ruined my evening. Of the show. This is Henry VIII. Uh, A Venetian envoy describes him as the handsomest potentate I ever set eyes on, above the usual height, with an extremely fine calf to his leg. His complexion very fair and bright, with auburn hair combed straight and short, and a round face so very beautiful that it would become a pretty woman. I'm not sure sure he's (laughs) describing what he thinks he is there. So someone with a big calf and 
he was very fond of it, very proud of his calves, Henry. That's why in some of the portraits you see him standing up, he's got calves on display. Ah, right. Okay, whatever floats his boat. Exactly. Okay. Um, In terms of his personality, early on he is perfect Renaissance prince. You know, he's an athlete, he loves dancing and music, composes poetry uh, and music. He was described by Erasmus as a man of gentle friendliness and Thomas More as making every man feel he is enjoying his special favour. Well, now... I'm not sure that that's really good qualities. You know how much I love poetry. Not a lot. <laughs> Can you imagine Edward I doing any of those things? I can't. It, I mean, it would be so out of character. So it would. I, to me, they're all negatives. But carry on. I mean, you might win me over. It's true. I definitely, if you're going to envisage Edward I, he is not dancing. <laughs> no, no, no. He never lifted one leg higher than the other unless in some sort of defensive war manoeuvre yeah. <laughs> or standing on someone well let's find out what they did actually get up to with their legs um, and look at their reins in more detail biography <laughs> it's good that uh, yesterday has not in any way helped I thought, I thought you'd forgotten <laughs> I was going to give you a cue but you just take over for me now Alan yeah. you know. oh Edward I, let's get back onto safe territory. Okay. Um, a bit of backgroundy stuff for Edward. Um, his father, Henry III, had a pretty torrid time of it. And in fact, Edward's grandfather, John, mm, mm. Uh, both of them had seen royal authority really drank down. So uh, John was forced to sign the Magna Carta. Uh, Henry III was imprisoned by Simon de Montfort at one point. Mm. The monarchy looked like it was in a bit of trouble. In fairness, Edward, as prince, did actually rescue him and defeat. Awesome. Simon de Montfort. Um, Edward was on the Ninth Crusade when he became king. Yeah. Uh, but he took a rather leisurely two years to actually come home and start kinging. He was even good at holidays. <laughs> was. Uh, and a magnificent double coronation with his wife, who he oh, loved very, very much, of did. course, Eleanor yeah. of Castile. And then he sets about uh, restoring strong centralised government to England. Royal finances had been depleted, but Edward gets nice big taxes, loans from the Italian bankers, the Riccardi, mm. and this funds all of his various exciting expeditions, holds regular parliaments with much larger representation, and enacts a lot of laws to improve law and order. This is the kind of stuff that you love in Rex Factor, so that's brilliant. Yeah. There's no baddies there. What, have you got any negatives, or are we still, we're still full of positives here? He leads uh, two really impressive campaigns into Wales to conquer oh. the country for the first time. Yep. Apologies if there are any uh, Welsh oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, But for Edward, it's gone quite well at this point, but 1290, we see something of a turn, perhaps. Mm -hmm. This is when his beloved wife, Eleanor of Castile, dies. And it's where we do see the only time, really, is softer side. She travelled with him on the crusade. She goes everywhere with Edward. Uh, but when she dies, he's absolutely devastated. He erects crosses at each stopping point on yeah. the routes back from Lincoln, the Eleanor crosses. And after that, he does seem to govern a bit less well. Various other allies and some of his key people in government also die at this point. Major rebellion uh, in Wales, 1294 to 95. He loses Gascony uh, for a period from the mm. French, which had been his territory since a young man. And the nobles are actually quite unhappy at the royal power grab right. and all the money that he's costing. And they actually refuse to go and fight for him in Gascony. I imagine he didn't take that terribly well. He wasn't best pleased, but he decided he was going to go anyway. But it doesn't really come to anything. The biggie for Edward, though, at the last period of his reign is Scotland. Yep. And ultimately, uh, little Robert there. But, 
Yeah. Edward initially conquers Scotland in 1296. John Balliol is swept away. Perfect. No more kings of Scots. Yeah, there we go. Right, Henry. But oh. Braveheart comes along, William oh. Wallace. Big defeat for the English, very embarrassing. The plus point for Edward is that it does actually reunite the nobles because they think, well, we better deal with the Scots yeah. before we deal with all of Edward's shenanigans. He goes up again, puts down various rebellions, and eventually in 1304 there's a peace agreement made. So he wins, is what you're saying? Well, he thought he'd won, but then in 1306, Robert the Bruce declares himself king. Mm-hmm. Edward decides he's got to do something about it. 1307, he rises from his sickbed to lead another campaign, but terrified at the prospect of facing a real king, he <laughs> pooed his pants and died at the age of 68, maybe from dysentery. Can you imagine if he hadn't died? He, th- we wouldn't be having this little chap here. He, n- not a chance. It's we- true, although the crucial if he hadn't died mm. is perhaps the, uh, mm. the key yeah. detail there. Yep, yep, true. But he died on, on the up then. He was on the way there to, to do it all again. Another He another did week. die on campaign, and apparently his last wishes were for his bones to be taken further on the campaign so he could actually watch Robert the Bruce being defeated in <laughs> that, death. That really he really is committed to a cause when he gets <laughs> he going, is, doesn't he? Even in death. Yeah. He still yeah, wasn't yeah. giving it up. How about Henry the Eighth? Yeah. Bit of background uh, background stuff for him. Yeah, we cut these bullets. His father, Henry the Seventh, has just established a new Tudor dynasty. Very weak claim, wasn't it? It was a very weak claim. We've just had the Wars of the Roses and all of the uh, uncertainty that that's caused. So Henry the Seventh, a bit unpopular at the end, seen as a bit miserly, a bit penny pinching. So Henry the Eighth, something of a caged bird. He wants to get to actually express himself and be free. Henry the Seventh had just kept him inside, didn't let him go into tournaments or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So at seventeen, he becomes king, and everybody is absolutely ecstatic because you know why wouldn't you be? It's Henry the Eighth. Uh, widespread celebrations. He marries his brother's widow, Catherine of Aragon, in the most magnificent double coronation. <laughs> That's one right there. Well, I mean, he ultimately he'd agree with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely would. Um, and basically, the next twenty years are actually pretty peaceful and uneventful for Henry. It's just lots of partying for him. He composes some songs and just lets Cardinal Wolsey get on with the government. Yeah. So, I mean, the twenty years of just writing poetry and songs. Well, you say that. I mean, he's having fun and partying. I mean, if you were king, would you actually be invading Wales or would you just be having lots of banquets and feasting and dancing? Yeah, no, I wouldn't be doing... I would, I would run a mile from a war. Yeah, I'd be doing exactly <laughs> the same. But that's why I'd make a terrible king. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> uh, the only problem for Henry, though, was that he doesn't have an heir. Yeah. Probably. Well, he does have an heir, to be fair. He's got one girl, uh, Mary, by Catherine, but... The Wars of the Roses was still within living memory, and the last time that there was a female heir to the throne was Matilda, where we had the Ooh, anarchy. Yeah, so that. Henry is obsessed with ensuring his father's legacy with needs to be a son to ensure stability. Mm. And he falls in love with Anne Boleyn, who refuses to be his mistress, but the Pope refuses to grant him a divorce. Right. So Henry, not a man to let minor details like the Pope get in the way, decides to break from Rome, break a thousand years of history and makes himself head of the Church of England. That that displays such a level of arrogance that just (laughs) blows my mind when he thinks, I'll just set up a new church and if you don't come along with me, I'll kill you. I mean, it's just incredible. Is this after his accident? Well, so he has, so 1536, he has a very nasty jousting accident and quite a lot goes wrong for him at this point. And... Um, when she hears about this, miscarries a son. 
Um, he then hears rumors about her having uh, an affair with various family members, uh, not various family members, just her brother, <laughs> uh, but various other people. She is then beheaded the first time in English history that a uh, queen has been beheaded. I, I was nearly going to ding the scandal bell. And it's going to break it. I should. Yeah. Look, but it just seems so normal now. We all know about Henry VIII. With it, he took the head off his wife. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's well, two of his wives. Yeah. It's criminal behaviour. I mean, I mean, actually criminal. I mean, technically, he went through all the legal proceedings, and it well, was yeah, with 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 a sort of yeah, they had guns with a gun at the back of the the judge's head, presumably saying, "Give the right answer, please." I'm the head of the church. Uh, yeah, so Anne Boleyn is dead. He finally gets a son from Jane Seymour, his third wife, but is uh, devastated when she dies and spends the next few years in mourning. Mm. And uh, he doesn't really look after himself. He kind of binge. Uh, grief binges basically his health really declines the leg injury from the tournament means he can't do any more jousting and mm. exercise uh he ends up with terrible terrible ulcers of 54 inch waist and 57 inch chest so he's not oh, quite the athletic specimen that he was at the start i oh, will right. concede uh, and he becomes rather paranoid and tyrannical the court is something of a viper's nest where everyone's scheme against each other if you fall from favor you will basically be executed Sounds like absolutely no fun at all. So he's gone from having all of these banquets, which was a lot of fun and not really doing much ruling, to having a terrible time. He's um, he's paranoid. He's got all these ulcers and killing everyone that disagrees with him. So yeah. So it's a really sort of horrible atmosphere. In where did he live? What's his name of his gaff out in uh, West London? Hampton, Hampton Court. Court. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's not a nice place to be. It's not. No. It's not. That's fair enough. And next year, I don't know if I said it what year, but in 1547, he dies at the age of 55. Thank God. Apparently gripped Cranmer's hands, the archbishop, to show that he was uh, died in the mercy of Christ. There was a myth that his last words were crying out, Monks! <laughs> Did you tell me that the first time we did this? No, I don't think it's corroborated. But, oh, uh, that's brilliant. It's nice to imagine that he might have done. He might have. Is, are you saying he might have gone back to the Catholic Church right at the end? Well, he never actually technically left the Catholic Church. He just what? left the Roman Catholic Church. So Henry VIII wasn't really a Protestant. And that was part of the problem with the divisions, because you got people who were Protestants, people who were Catholics, and Henry, who's kind of still a Catholic, but he just doesn't like the Pope. He just wants his own way. He doesn't really yeah. mind what people call it. Yeah, it was well, fine as it, it was, does. except for the fact that there was someone that could tell him what he could and couldn't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so he's dead. He is dead. So there we have the life and reigns of Henry VIII and mm. Edward I. I mean, I think when we put them together, I think you're probably starting to worry a bit. Not at all. I'm absolutely <laughs> confident. <no. laughs> I mean, there's some weird similarities between them, despite, you know, Edward's relentless determination to kill lots of people and despite Henry VIII cutting off two of his wives' heads, they're actually both kind of romantics at what? heart. <laughs> Edward's very sad when his wife died. Oh, yeah, yeah. He yeah. said, My harp is turned to mourning. In life I loved her dearly, nor can I cease to love her in death. And that's the closest he will ever get to poetry. <laughs> it certainly is. And Henry, apart from um, Anne of Cleves, really, does actually pretty much marry for love every time. I don't think he really knows what love is, does he? If you can, if you can he, slaughter two of the people you claim to love. He, he wrote poems and lovely letters to them before yeah. he cut their heads yeah. off and yeah. divorced He's them. He's a psychopath. Uh, he uh, wore black for three months and didn't marry for three years after Jane Seymour died. 
was he so he was he was he she his favorite she was because uh, she had a son and then died without causing him any difficulties yeah what about his last one Catherine, Catherine Parr. Parr she actually almost ended up um on the chopping block as well but she just about managed to Oh, I thought he was keen on her too. Well, he was quite keen on her, but when he did a family portrait at the end of his life, um, he d- displayed himself, his wife, and his three children. The wife was still Jane Seymour, even though he was married. Oh, God. <laughs> That's horrendous. What a horrible man. But in some ways romantic for... Yeah. Admittedly not for the current wife, but nevertheless... The equivalent now is taking a lovely family photo and sticking someone else's face on Photoshop there. Just say, there you go, and putting it in the family living room. It's nice And if she says anything, kill her. It's terrible. Well, yeah. Right. You'd never see Edward doing that. Well, if he married again, he might have done. Mm. But... Uh, they both have quite big turning points in their lives as well. 1290 for Edward I, his wife dies. Also, that was when Acre fell, so that meant the Crusades could no longer be mm. a thing, which is a lifelong dream. Henry, it's 1536, Anne Boleyn being executed, the jousting injury. Catherine of Aragon also dies that year, mm. his first wife. So they both had this year. Neither of them are quite successful after the, that year. And also, they're both a little bit more tyrannical, perhaps, as well. Mm. Mm. How old was Henry when he had his accident? Oh, so he would have been forty something. Oh right, okay, early forties. So, right, and Edward—that was right at the end of Edward's life, wasn't it? Yeah. So, in fairness to Edward, he never develops a stoop, never loses his eyesight, never loses the ability to mount a horse. Even in old age, he just carries on and on and on relentlessly. So, yeah. health-wise, Edward the First probably does a better job. Oh yes, and. Uh, <laughs> It's so brilliantly cast in Braveheart, I've got to mention it. It's just <laughs> so good. It's like on a horse at age, what was 60-something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Absolute legend. Not so well in the new Chris Pine film, though, I don't think. Who's the fella in it? Uh, the uh, From Game of Game Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. yeah. Stannis. Yes. Yeah, not so good. They should have just brought the same fella out 20 years later, 30 years later. <laughs> out <laughs> out uh, from the dead. Oh, is he dead? Yeah, I'm afraid oh, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wouldn't be so good. Right, hmm. Well, anyway, that's uh, their biographies. Let's see how they do factor by factor. Right, which one is it? Then? Go with your instinct. Vaselina, thank you. Vaselinas! <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, Edward I obviously gets off to a really bad start. Why? Uh, during his father's reign, the Battle of Lewis in 1264, oh. Edward's reckless charging of the Londoners off the battlefield meant that ultimately the Royalists lost the battle. He and Henry III were captured by Simon de Montfort. If de Montfort had played his cards better, that could have been it for the monarchy. You know what we call mistakes? Learning. Mm. And that's what he did there. And in, and in fairness, he does make up for that mistake. Um, as we said, he'd been captured by de Montfort, but uh, he made quite an impressive escape. He was allowed to go out testing some horses and riding. And there were a series of horses... And he tries all of them out, ties them as much as possible. And then the last one, he uh, just makes off on it. So apparently he said, Lordings, I bid you good day. Greet my father well and tell him I hope to see him soon to release him from custody. That's brilliant. He even had a quip when one was necessary. Just like Bond again. It's fantastic. You wouldn't get Henry doing that. Uh, Well, he'd be too fat. But but all of, all through history, there seems to be these improbable escapes where they just presume that they won't run away. It's just the Austin Powers scenario, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely bizarre. Like, uh, who was it that did a game of hide-and-seek and then just hid really well until... Am I making this up? I mean, quite possibly. 
Was this a dream? We'll come back to you on that. We'll, we'll <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Live. Okay. <laughs> um, after he escapes, he does then win the war. At the Battle of Isham in 1265, Edward isolated Simon de Montfort from his supporters um, with his seven campaign, outflanks them at Evesham and wins an outright victory and Simon de Montfort oh, is yeah. killed. Perfect. So he, overall victorious is what we're saying in that early bit. Early on. Yeah. Early on. Uh, he goes on a crusade, mm-hmm. as you said, quite impressive, a crusader king, and he was attacked by an actual assassin. Yeah. That's an assassin with a capital A, the original yes. and best. Oh, yes. The Moroccan, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And quite impressively, despite being wounded with a poison dagger, he actually kills the assassin. Of course he does. <laughs> I mean, this is brilliant, isn't it? It's Except that the actual crusade was completely rubbish. Apparently, uh, it was basically over before he even got there. So all he really did was get stabbed a bit <laughs> and then went home. Yeah. Yeah, but he did go. He did go all the way out there. Yeah. And he got a little scar from it that he could show off. At, yeah. Know, say, this is from the crusade. <laughs> yeah. Is there any truth to the Eleanor sucking the poison out business? I fear that that might be a myth. Uh, I'll, st- I'll go with it. I'm happy with that. Uh, Wales, as we mentioned, perhaps not the most popular one for the Bristol... Uh, the Ooh, Bristol yeah. audience, but yeah. uh, two epic campaigns. 1277, he pounded uh, rebels into Snowdonia and was able to fight through the winter by basically just eating all of their food <laughs> while they were hiding in the mountains. And then 1282 to 83, he repeats the trick, kills the leaders. These really well-organized campaigns. He's got supplies, ships, wagons, craftsmen. He's got thousands and thousands of people who aren't even actually soldiers. They're just there to build things, all the logistics. It's yeah. incredibly well-planned. It's a proper a first war of invasion and settlement with with paid armies rather than people going off home to harvest and stuff. These guys were were there for the long haul. They were, though in, he doesn't actually ever deliver a fatal blow. We've got no great big battle where he defeats all of the Welsh forces. Mm. Well, you know, you can only fight who's in front of you. Mm. Uh, and of course, I think perhaps one of your favourite things about the entirety of history, he builds some quite impressive castles. Quite impressive. World Heritage Site castles. They're fantastic. Absolute boss. Do you want to say anything about Oh, the well, I just... I, what, ca- what can be said about those castles? What's so impressive about them? Why are they good castles? Well, oh, I don't know. Uh, so going along, builds all the, uh, the iron ring of castles, but they tend to always be on sites where castles were or on easily defended sites. So they're like on rocky outcrops or building off other castles. But still, we're at the point in castle design where it's absolutely... The, the peak of that kind of architecture before gunpowder comes along and ruins the whole game because you can just fire <laughs> a cannon at it and then all walls are done for. So, and then bearing all these things that he's learned in mind around the north of Wales, then goes to Beaumaris and thinks, right, well, war's pretty much over. Here's a flat bit of ground. I'm just going to build the perfect castle, which he do- doesn't finish. I'll give you that. But... Because he runs out of money. Yeah, and the Scots are busy knocking on the door. Mm. But... If you were, it is the the perfect perfect castle. If if it had been finished, and uh, I mean, I know you hate ifs, but and a war was fought, it's impregnable. It's absolutely fantastic. And then you have gunpowder and all the all, all the nonsense spoils. that brings spoils the game. Wow. Yeah, and they're beautiful. It's North Wales. Well, as you said, the other problem for him is uh, Scotland. Initially, he does a good job with Scotland. He uh, goes down as the hammer of the Scots. Uh, destroyed Berwick 
and pretty much all of the people in it. Hey. Routed the Scots at Dunbar, and uh, after just 21 weeks of his initial campaign, John Balliol abdicates. Brilliant. And Edward goes home with the Stone of Scone, the Crown Jewels. Mm-hmm. All seems to be done. Yeah. Um, Wallace was defeated at the Battle of Falkirk by Edward, who apparently had broken two ribs the night before when a horse accidentally... He's so cool, still. Come on. This is brilliant. <laughs> And uh, 1304, as the siege of Stirling Castle, he rode near the walls and didn't panic, apparently, not only when a crossbow bolt hit his saddle, but also a stone felled one of his horses. Wow. So what, people were shooting at him, he was just wandering around, going, yeah. come on, come on, yeah. up, up, play the game. <laughs> yeah, oh, brilliant. He's a hero. And as we said, he died on campaign, his last wishes, and yeah. his bones taken around. Did they do that? No, Edward II just went straight home. Oh. <laughs> we're not judging him on that bit, though, he's already dead, that's fine. Against him, though, um, he never got Gascony back until ultimately he just had to marry the King of France's sister. So he tries to launch this great campaign with all these European allies, but nobody really wants to fight. He isn't able to do it, so he just has to marry. But he does get it back. Yeah, okay. And ultimately, Scotland, he doesn't quite sort it out, perhaps because he spent so much money with his vanity project of Welsh (laughs) castles that then when he has an actual kingdom of Scotland to deal with, He's invite like, them down to Wales and say, right, I'll stay in here. <laughs> Fight you here. attack me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could all just move. Um, so when he dies, Robert the Bruce, of course, carries on and re-establishes the Scottish kingdom and Scottish independence, which is why we've got a puppet of Robert the Bruce, not Edward I. But this is all when he's dead. That is when he's dead, in fact. Like, to, to the, at the point up until he died, he was back on campaign and doing well. Yeah. But just died i mean it's a real flaw yeah dying in rex factor he should have you know just had a little thing just thought that woke up that morning. Yeah. A bit more. well i mean i think henry the eighth is going to deal with edward quite comfortably here he has actual victories against the french right the battle of the spurs in 1513 that's the first victory in france since the 1430s when when was that one the 1513 so it's you know 80 odd oh, years yeah. later yeah yeah and uh, he also leads about 40,000 troops to a successful siege of, uh, siege of Boulogne in 1544. Right. Now, admittedly, the Battle of the Spurs was technically a bit of a minor skirmish, and actually Henry was kind of looking the other way and not really involved personally. Good. That's... And uh, diplomatic tides shift so that he had to hand everything back afterwards. Oh. And uh, Boulogne, obviously, is at the end of the reign, so Henry was quite big at that point and had to be actually craned onto his oh, rather so unfortunate horse. Embarrassing. It's so demeaning, isn't it? Can you imagine him like a great big frog being lifted onto a horse? It's horrible. But he was there. Well, he, I bet, it must he, have taken a lot of effort for, for him the to horse. go all that way. Well, and, yeah, and the horse. Yeah, God. Um, so he, wasn't, he, was, he never raised a sword or a gun in anger. I mean, he probably did, but not necessarily on a battlefield. Never killed anyone on a battlefield. No. Mm, interesting. Mm. Uh, some other positive ones. Mm. He is, of course, the actual hammer of the Scots. <laughs> Why? James the Fourth of Scots was killed in a massive defeat in the Battle of Flodden in 1513. Oh, yeah. James the yeah. V, his successor, died soon after a defeat at Solway Moss in 1544. Mm. And then we have the rough wooing where Henry instigates oh. this uh, rather brutal invasion of Scotland in a bid to acquire... Mary, Queen of Scots. That's so up his strata, isn't it? A rough wooing. He's he's <laughs> yeah. an awful man. Yeah. What we need to do here is a rough wooing and everyone looking at each other going, oh, God, <laughs> sounds terrible, Henry. Exactly. 
against him for Scotland. Um, Flodden was an incredibly impressive victory, but that was actually when he was not quite managing to fight in the Battle of the Spurs. So it's actually Catherine of Aragon and Norfolk who are responsible for Flodden rather than Henry. Right. And uh, Solway Moss didn't really give any advantage. Mary, Queen of Scots, ends up going to France, marrying the Dauphin. So it didn't quite mm. work out. Mm, not good. But, so actually making an alliance, strengthening that French Scottish yeah. alliance. Mm. Mm. And he also does uh, invest in castles, like Edward I, uh, perhaps one of the last kings really to do this. Um, massive programs of fortifications along the uh, coast, the device forts, Mm. as they're known, to see off uh, potential invasion from the French uh, or Spanish. 50 specialist warships built by Henry as well. Mm-hmm. Very important development What's of the, the Navy. most famous one of that? Mary Rose. Oh dear. Perhaps. Oh dear, that sank, didn't it? Still with us today. <laughs> uh, but it sank in a victory. Mm. So... Mm, I, I think Henry was most annoyed about the sinking, wasn't he, rather than the victory. He was sort of Probably. Looking, yeah, not good. Not good at all. Now, admittedly, battliness is not, I'm going to accept, not Henry's best mm-hmm. category. He doesn't score quite as highly as Edward. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm happy with that. But, you know, neither of them actually managed to quite sort out Scotland. Well, I think if you were to, uh, I mean, if you were to ask Edward, he would definitely disagree and kill you. But I think he would disagree <laughs> because up to the point of his death, he was doing really well. He'd done it once. He was just thinking, oh, it's like the Welsh all over again. I have to do it once more and do it properly. <laughs> and he was doing that. He just did the old death thing. He did do that yeah. death thing. And it's interesting, though, because they both had almost the same scenario. In both cases, for Edward and Henry, we have the King of Scots dying and the only heir being a young girl. And those Edward and Henry both thought, aha, if I marry the young queen to my oh, son... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then ultimately we'll get to be. Ruling. Why didn't that happen with Edward? Because that would have been that would have sorted the whole lot out. Well, with Edward, it was that dying problem again. Because ah, Mar- Margaret the Maid of Norway died just as she oh, was death about to boat. get back. Yes, death her. by boat. Yeah, death yeah, by yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. for Henry, obviously, Mary Queen of Scots went and married somebody else. Right. Okay. So uh, they both both lose points on the on the marriage front. Both lose points, not quite managing to do that. But you know, they both invested in castles quite a mm-hmm. bit, quite a bit of investment there. Mm-hmm. Some similarities, mm-hmm. but okay. admittedly, Edward getting a slightly higher score. Yeah. Okay. I've actually read what the next one is, so <laughs> I know what it is. Are we there? We are. Okay. Good. Scandal. <laughs> I th- I've always got to do the hands. I don't know why. It's really <laughs> annoying. Well, for Edward the first, he's a bit of a nasty man. Yeah. Very untrustworthy. Initially, he sides with Simon de Montfort against his father mm. and then ends up switching sides again. He was known as the leopard as a young man because you couldn't really trust his word. Um, and at Stirling, apparently, that siege in 1304, the garrison actually tried to surrender, but Edward refused to accept it until he tried out his new siege weapon. <laughs> so he had to <laughs> fire at them and then yeah, he would yeah. actually accept. Oh, that's brilliant. You don't want the game to finish yet. I haven't finished, mum. Um, his temper is absolutely ridiculous and we mentioned a couple examples earlier he has other things like there are seats for repairs to his daughter's coronet which is thrown on a fire by Edward obviously (laughs) Um, there's also receipts for a page boy who was hit on the head a receipt for a page boy yeah (laughs) maybe not a receipt well I guess they had to fix his head yeah maybe yeah and um, during um, one particular argument with his son, Edward II, when he was upset that Edward had given lots of lands to his favourite, Piers Gaviston, uh, Gaviston yeah. Edward apparently tore out his son's hair whilst screaming at him. Oh, my God. He's terrifying, isn't he? Imagine that. Like, 
and there's no one to stop him. He'll just do whatever he wants. And this translate that's how he treats his son. Imagine yeah. how he treats his yeah. enemies. He broke centuries of chivalric tradition not to kill nobles. So usually if you caught a noble in a battle, he'd then be ransomed and you know, you'd have a drink afterwards and <laughs> all would be well. Yeah, I love that bit where you got me on the shoulder, that sort of thing. And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Not no. under Edward. Under Edward they get killed. He set up a hit squad to take out Simon de Montfort. Well, it worked, didn't it? Well, it did work. Uh, de Montfort was brutally murdered and chopped up into lots of various bits. The Welsh rebels and Wallace, uh, William Wallace were hanged, drawn and quartered yeah. and had their bits distributed across the uh, the country to show off. To... He liked that as well, didn't he? Henry liked a bit of hang, drawing and quartering. Well, I guess that's where he got the idea from. Mm. Um, when he sacked Berwick in Scotland, he ordered the slaughter of uh, its citizens. Something like seven to 8,000 were killed from a population of something like 13,000. Okay, I, I've got no defence for that. <laughs> That's pretty nasty. And when Robert the Bruce was initially defeated in his first year of being king, um, his um, wife and his sister and some other women folk were captured by the English, and Edward had them imprisoned in cages, hung from the outside of castles. His family... Robert the Bruce's family. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, was it a nice day? I mean, there were quite a lot of days, so uh. probably not <laughs> every day. there was one. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, good. maybe. And most notoriously of all, 1290, we have the expulsion of the Jews from England. Yeah. Um, they came um, after 1066 and were basically used as moneylenders by the kings, but Edward has imposed such strong, uh, strong taxes on them that there's not enough more to gain. And he's found the Italian bankers doesn't need them anymore. So in return for a huge tax from the nobles, he agrees to have them expelled. What? So the nobles said, we'll give you more money if you get rid of the Jews. It was a way that um, he could court popularity, really. So rather than doing the noble good thing and thinking mm. about the greater good, he's like, well, I want taxes. So whatever, whatever I have oh, to do to so get that tax receipt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was also because he's sort of Rinse them for all the money and then wouldn't pay it back. So his way was... Well, that's another reason why he thought it was actually probably cheaper to get rid of them than to keep them because ah. he wasn't getting any money from them and therefore what more use could a human being have <laughs> for <laughs> Edward? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's ruthless. He is ruthless. On the uh, negative side for Scandal, uh, probably entirely faithful to his wife. On the negative side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn. Um, isn't that lovely, though? You've got this... It, we always say this plays like a film uh, set, a score set, storyboard. One, pick, take your pick. A film, film. Thank you. The first one uh, where you've got all this great adventure. He's always ready with a quip. There's a love story as well. You can't say the same for Henry. Well, there's lots of love stories oh, for it'd Henry. It'd be too confusing. Oh, let's go through the no. love stories for Henry. And um, well, I mean, admittedly, we discovered that physically things didn't go quite so well. He is a bit of a state at the end of the reign. Mm. Um, which isn't quite so great. Apparently, he was oozing ulcers, which um, Shapwee said was the worst smell in the world. <laughs> that's the Spanish ambassador yes. being all diplomatic, and that's yes. what he comes up with. <laughs> Amazing. This is the best we could really say about this situation. <laughs> that's being polite. Uh, incredibly, he has six wives. Yeah, famously. In fact, well, yeah. famously and infamously, but remarkably, Catherine Haugen, his first wife, was uh, married to him until 1533, and he dies in 1547. So he had five wives in seven years. God, I didn't realize I, I, every time we talk about him, I forget how condensed 
the bit where he's normal, 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 absolutely loses the plot. Mm. And all of the famous stuff is right here. Yeah. It's so strange. It must He must have had some sort of uh, more serious brain injury from that fall rather than just his leg. And it really is just remarkable. I mean, he humiliates Catherine, stops her from seeing her daughter Mary once they've um, yeah, so once cool. they've split. Uh, he breaks with Rome. He enti- entirely changes the nation's religion just to marry Anne Boleyn, who he then has beheaded. Yeah, if you were a subject, you'd think I've got gone through so much to make sure I put my morals <laughs> to one side so I don't get killed, and then he just says, "Oh, I killed her anyway." Yeah, you'd be furious, wouldn't you? Catherine Howard was only about 17 when um, she married Henry and was executed at roughly 18 or 19. Mm, poor girl. And uh, Catherine Parr's final wife almost fell foul because of the uh, religious dispute. She had to be quite clever to avoid becoming the third wife what, to lose her head. What, because she was... She was being a bit too proactive in her Protestantism. No, right, okay. But, I mean, that's better than being pro-Pope, is it, for him? Well, yes, but nevertheless, she did almost get executed for it. Mm. So perhaps better not to have... Just don't say know. anything in his presence. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people lose their heads under, uh, heads under Henry. First of all, Henry VII's two chief finance ministers, pretty much the first thing Henry does is just to cut off the heads of the people that were charged before. Just give them a chance. Just <laughs> no. arrived and said, uh, you're dead. <laughs> Yorkist rivals, including the 67-year-old Margaret Pole, his childhood mentor, Thomas More, a cardinal, Cardinal Fisher, his most loyal minister, Thomas Cromwell, a couple of nobles, Buckingham and the Earl of Surrey, two of his wives, plus Wolsey and the Duke of Norfolk. Very lucky. Not Well, Wolsey wasn't lucky, he just died anyway, but Norfolk only just avoided being killed himself because Henry died. He, I mean, he, the, it's inexplicable. He is, he's a mass murderer. The uh, Duchess of Milan was considered, apparently, as a potential wife for Henry, and she was said to have quipped, if I had two heads, one should be at the King of England's disposal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite right. I mean, don't go anywhere near him. Against him, despite shows like The Tudors, apparently he was actually a bit of a prude. So he's really more of a serial monogamist rather than ah. this sort of flagrant <laughs> romance guy. Um, apparently he didn't permit outward displays of wanton behaviour at court. Uh, right. just, just violence, extreme violence. Hmm. Yeah. It's a time and a place for everything. Yeah. Mm. Nice. I mean, scandal, I think you've got to agree. Henry VIII comes out on top there. Yes. I will trade you battling this for scandal. I can't claim uh, Edward wins that. 20 out of 20 for scandal, Henry VIII. What managed. did Edward get? Edward got, well, 14. Quite impressive. Pretty good. But, uh, yeah, mm. that's a win for Henry. Okay, I'll accept that. I would, uh, <laughs> subjectivity. <laughs> So, I mean, neither of these are perhaps the nicest and kindest men in English history, but they do do some good things. Um, In terms of finances, um, for Edward, he managed to get the royal revenues up with uh, land income and ownership taken back into royal control. He raises huge amounts of money from customs duties, and he gets all of his big expeditions funded by the Italian bankers. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work out quite so well when they're so expensive that, and he hasn't paid any money back that they stop giving him loans. Mm, Yeah, but the job's done then. And he can default and he doesn't care. Apparently from 1294 to 98, he was fighting on three fronts with Wales, Scotland and France and spending something like £750,000 when there was only £1 million in circulation. Wow. Oh, my word. Is there an equivalent today? That, what is that? It's, what's the size of the economy now? I guess I know this isn't your strong point. Anyone know what the size of the economy is? That's ridiculous. I think it could be as much as £2 million now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Parliament, he's actually surprisingly um, conciliatory. Yes, he is. With uh, Parliament. He holds regular parliaments, accepts that taxation couldn't be levied without the common consent of the realm. And in 1295, we have the model parliament where he's got representatives not just from the lords and clergy, but also um, from uh, the burgesses, just elected citizens. So the model parliament. So people are saying this is the model we want to aspire to. And he's uh, quite restrained when he's presiding over quite lengthy sessions, quite patient, unusually. Yeah, I bet it was a dummy. It was just <laughs> <laughs> and it was off somewhere else. Someone just nodding yeah, the head yeah. every now and again. The eyes that do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was nicknamed the English Justinian because of all of the wide-ranging uh, laws. My favourite Byzantine king. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1275 and 85 statutes at Westminster codified existing laws and covered a wide range of issues, uh, one of which is still in force, freedom of elections. Ah, there you go. Brilliant subjectivity. Stuff that you can still uh, feel the effect of today. Hmm. Against him, mm. um, all of the money, all of the taxation, all of the wars ultimately means that people get a bit fed up with him. Yeah. So in 1297, there's actually a genuine worry that there might be some form of civil conflict brewing. People are freezing to go to fight for him in France. He's trying to take powers away from them. And there's a lot of tensions building. In a weird way, he's quite lucky that William Wallace comes along and hands him a defeat. Just because so, it reunites yeah. everybody and they forget about how awful Edward is. <laughs> well, I don't, uh, I don't agree. But... <laughs> um, as we mentioned before, expulsion of the Jews perhaps not the most virtuous of actions in a king. No, no, no. <laughs> and you can understand why a recent biography of him, Mark Morris, describes him as a great and terrible king. Yes, I know. I, I remember that, and I agree. But that's exactly <laughs> what you want out of a medieval king. There's no. He's he's got power of life and death there, and in the time of uh, Henry, it's just inappropriate. <laughs> well, I mean, if we forget about the latter years, Henry VIII was the perfect Renaissance prince. Yeah. Early on, uh, it debated theology with Thomas More and Erasmus. He wrote a book against Luther, so he was actually named Defender of the Faith by the Pope. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, why is the Queen still called that then? Because despite breaking from the Church of Rome, Henry quite liked the title, so he so kept, he just it. kept it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> despite yeah. all of that. Um, he was a fine athlete, he loved his jousting and tennis, composed poetry and music, pastime with good company is one of his catchier numbers. What? what? Pastime with good company? Pastime with good company. Is that one he wrote? He did. I don't know, I've heard it. Did we, oh, hang on, you played that to me in the episode, didn't you? Probably, I've probably played it to you. You will have heard of it. Okay, fine. Green sleeves? No, that oh. was that was a myth. That was uh, Elizabethan, probably. Oh. Builds more palaces than any other monarch and enriches some of Wolsey's existing ones, like Hampton Court. Extravagant, wasteful. And he brings some cohesion to the UK after all the mess that Edward I created. Finally, someone brings order to Wales. We had lots of different independent lordships, limited central authority, but Henry, 1536, Act of Union, sets it up divides the country uh, into counties with MPs, fixed borders. Everybody loves him. <laughs> Apart from <laughs> a few people at court. Uh, 1541, he made himself King of Ireland. Just made himself? Yeah. Just claimed it? Yeah. Didn't go over there and ask them? Well, so he, England already kind of has certain amounts of dominance over Ireland, but Henry thought that it was a bit hard to govern. It'd be easier if he could just be king. Wouldn't, yeah. Mm. So then everybody has to give their lands back to Henry and then he gives it back to them, but as a kind of fiefdom so that they now accept that they are getting the land from him as king. Did they go along with this? Well, they kind of had to because otherwise, you know. <laughs> the old stabby. Stabby, stabby. Yeah. 
And you could say that, you know, the break from Rome, the isolation from Europe and all of that, as well as the act of supremacy and reformation, it really kind of creates a new sort of English identity and admittedly yeah. a bit of isolationism, which perhaps hasn't served us quite so well. But nevertheless, he goes along with it. He really helps to form the country. It's very much yeah. a before and after with Henry. Yeah, that's true. But if we're being strict about this in subjectivity, would you have been happy with that at the time? Well, I mean, admittedly, there's a little bit of uncertainty. One or two things that maybe you mm. wouldn't have been quite so happy with. He was a bit too lazy for governance, so he used to just find other people to do it for him. Mm. Though in fairness, there are actually people who are quite good at their job. He was quite good at picking people on their ability rather than their birth. And but then ability. he goes and kills them. <laughs> But then he went and killed them. But until he killed them, he really promoted them really quite yeah. impressively. Like Thomas Cromwell. Exactly. Mm. Right up until the point at which he had his head cut off. Yeah. <laughs> he knew it was only little me. That was <laughs> black Adam. Uh, his father, Henry VII, had amassed a huge fortune, something like a million pounds just in cash. Wow. Which for the time is a huge amount of money. Henry VIII pretty much blows it all on that first campaign in 1513. <sighs> that he wins? That he technically won. The surplus has gone by the 1520s because of all the money he spends on palaces and tapestries. Apparently he had one jacket that owned about the same as a farm. That's ridiculous. So while, while Edward is putting this stuff to, well, good use, slaughtering <laughs> on campaign, he was just buying clothes and palaces. Well, I mean, once again, Edward is killing the Welsh and the Scots, whereas Henry is building lovely buildings that we can still enjoy today. Yeah, yeah, right, I think, yeah. <laughs> Um, Wolsey and uh, particularly Cromwell with the dissolution of the monasteries bring in more money than any other monarch has had in history Wow! but he still ended up dying quite heavily in debt and reliant on uh, parliament for taxation did he just eat it all? (laughs) by the end that's crazy Uh, the reformation was a little bit of uh, a disturbance in English history it's probably fair to say yeah thousand years of history broken from the uh, break with the Roman Catholic Church all just to pursue basically a personal goal. Yeah, you could put it like that. It, um, but I mean, that, and that, that's still sort of what sets in motion that, as you say, that isolationism from the rest of Europe. Mm. It's not, not great. No, in the dissolution of the monasteries, of course, we see uh, destruction of libraries, the loss of some of the Saxon bones, closure of hospitals, a surfeit of vagrants. The monks, the monks have got nothing else yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Uh, probably the biggest ownership, uh, upheaval in land ownership since 1066. Yeah. It's a huge amount of land that the king is just taking away, obviously, from all those monasteries. Does he then uh, give it back as favours to people and stuff? Or is it that just remains in royal... Initially, it'll be for crown use. Some people do get it as rewards oh, for basically right. doing the dirty deeds. Mm. Um, but as we mentioned, he's kind of instable on the religious front, so he's never quite Protestant, never quite Catholic, and it just ends up with a rather divided court. Yeah, you never know where you are. And it sets up all the chaos afterwards. But for Henry's perspective, it means that he's above it all. He's the one at the top. Everyone's fighting below him, and he's probably about as powerful a monarch as there's ever been in English history. Because he sets up this atmosphere of tension and no one really knows and he can just decide he's the puppet master. Mm. It's, it's ty- yeah, he's tyrannical. It's yeah. not what you want. Maybe not. Mm. On balance. Mm. Not good. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, the scores aren't very important here, so we won't go into that. Ah. But, uh... <laughs> Where did he finish up? Henry got seven and a half out of 20. Yeah. Edward got 14 out of 20. Ooh, the numbers don't lie, Graham. Mm. Interesting, though. Both of them found quite innovative ways to raise huge amounts of money. Yeah. And they both ended up in debt. Both of those ways 
word theft. Yes, basically. <laughs> Henry stole it all from the monks. Yeah. Edward just took massive loans and never paid them back. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Anyone can do that. <laughs> uh, both play a significant role in the development of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Edward by invading, Henry brought uh, more legislative means. Both quite innovation, uh, innovative in government. Um, but yes, in terms of their actual ruling, neither men that you really want to cross. No, no, definitely not. But I feel like in the time of Edward, that's more how the whole thing worked. And yet he still put in place that model government, uh, model parliament. Mm. But with Henry, it was hundreds of years later and all of this had developed further. And yet he was going backwards to this model of a tyrannical king and no <laughs> one knew where they were. And it was all terrifying. It, Edward, uh, Edward, yes, was was that horrible man, but it was going in the right direction. Henry was that horrible man looking backwards. I don't think I don't think it was appropriate, Graham. That's what I'd have said to him. <laughs> yeah. And then Scarpus. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Longevity. <laughs> so Edward the First ruled from twelve seventy two to thirteen oh seven. Quick maths. Nope. Tell me. Thirty four point six seven years. <laughs> okay. Good. Henry VIII ruled from 1509 to 1547. 48? 38 years? 37.75. Oh, damn. So Henry just ahead of Edward, 37 versus 34, or 38 versus 36. Nothing 35. in it. Well, except, that, of course, that uh, Henry got a 16.5 out of 20 versus a mere 16 for Edward I. <laughs> Way behind. Right. Okay, we'll call that a draw. Ah, mm. uh, thank you. Dynasty, not the program. <laughs> Edward ends up with a pretty impressive seven children. Wow. And he lost quite a few of them as well. So he got 11.61 out of 20. Henry, three children. Oh, dear. 5.01. Yeah, he lost a few of those as well, didn't he? Well, they both did. So Edward uh, apparently had 16 children Good. in all. And Henry VIII had 10. Wow. So it's but, just an indication of high infant mortality even yeah, in periods. But Henry VIII had six wives. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and he achieved fewer children. Poor Eleanor, my word. That's horrible. <laughs> God. Well, Edward does marry a second time. Oh, and it, does he have children the second time? He did have children by the second oh, wife as okay. well, but most of them uh, by his first wife. Yeah, so Edward had three surviving sons. Yeah. Um, and of course, Henry's children all died childless. Mm. So actually, Henry's actual dynasty ends in the next generation, whereas Rubbish. Edward's, of course, yeah. carries on and on. Interesting difference in attitude. When um, Edward's father died, he'd also lost one of his sons as well, mm. Alfonso. Oh, so fancy. he could have had a King Alfonso. <laughs> was he on holiday when he was given birth? <laughs> by the chance? He was on crusade. <laughs> Darling, I love this new name I've heard. You'll never guess. <laughs> um, so when it happened, apparently he was absolutely devastated about his father dying, but really not too bothered about the son and his logic was that it was quite easy to have more sons where you could only have one father well that's sort of nice <laughs> <laughs> whereas henry's entire reign is defined by his desperation to have a son yeah an heir so i mean if you're looking for a nice cuddly father figure you don't want either of them. you probably don't want either no, of them. <laughs> no. henry but... would be more upset yeah yeah if if henry had Oh, he did. He had Edward, but I imagine like yeah. he would, he would still be terrifying. But you'd have the best protection ever. Yeah. Um, Edward just be born, clear off, yeah. and then then you're fine, and yeah. you'd probably be wealthy, but just you know at a safe distance. Yes. Although of course Edward II, when he uh, oh, favors yeah. other people, perhaps not, not the best not. experience. No. Mm. no, not so good. 
So in terms of their total scores, well, it's not really about the total score. It's much oh, more about that. Um, come on, what is it? So uh, Edward I got 72.69, yeah. which is second best both in the English series and the two combined series. I got pretty chuffed with that. Where's Henry? Well, I mean, it depends which Henry. I mean, one of the Henrys came top <laughs> of uh, both. This chap. This Henry the Eighth. Eighth. Um, he got about 57.01. And right. he came 14th overall. That's not at all good, is it, Graham? But it's not about the scores, is it? It's about that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement that we call Rex Factor. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, Thank we were you. worried whether people would do that. Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's much of an argument to be made for Edward, but if you think that you can uh, try and persuade people. I think I think the, the, the Edward's points are clear. I think it's much easier to say all the reasons why Henry isn't uh, doesn't deserve the Rex Factor. I, it's tricky because when we talk about the Rex Factor, it's that person with the sword held aloft, all that. That's definitely not him. That's definitely <laughs> Edward. I mean, he is that med. He's that at exactly that time that people think of as the medieval king. Yeah. Because occasionally they they're shown with rudimentary cannons in the background. Don't want any of that. This is, it's it's his time. But, I don't know why I'm saying fighting your side here. If you were to do a history book, it's likely that that Henry would be on the cover. Then again, the point of Rex Factor was to shine a light on all these people that deserve it, that don't get it. You know, they don't the Vogue cover shoots people. <laughs> it's, it's all about business. This is a guy who set up these reforms that, that he had the model parliament, that, you know, all these things that we still feel the benefit of today. He set about creating the United Kingdom, so, well, not at the time, not that he knew it was, uh, so that Henry could go along later and tidy it up. He actually did do well in battliness. His scandal score, uh, his, his subjectivity score was so much better. Scandal, there is no competing with Henry VIII, but I'd say that's a bad thing. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> it gives him some star quality, mm. but as far as kingship goes... <sighs> Wish you hadn't put him there. I keep thinking <laughs> of him. This is the man you want, not him. <laughs> and also, I'd like to point out, Henry VIII is spineless. And I'd like to show you uh, a little, uh, demonstrate why. Uh, when we were packing up for the tour, I said to Graham, are you sure we need this? Not him, but a little bottle of moisturizer I found in our bag. <laughs> I said, and it turns out that without it, he's useless. <laughs> so I've been sitting in front of this for 10 years and never knew he, he had a bottle of moisturizer up, up here around his person. Uh, so if that, I think that defines him. That it's all fine on the outside, but dig a little deeper. It's just plastic tap. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was quite confident when we started because we were in, um, just before we came on, we were chatting to um, Ali's brother and you were trying to set up, give your confidence, being like, oh, so why would you, why would you want Edward I to win? Oh, yeah. And then he said, well, I'll tell you why I'd go for Henry VIII, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's really threw me. You thought my confidence was not because Chris and I have always loved Henry the. Oh. <laughs> 
oh my god, <laughs> I've always loved Edward the First. And we used to go driving around his castles together. And he comes out with that. Mind you, he's well into the Mary Rose bows, so maybe that's it. That's mm. famously sung. So go for gold. Well, obviously, Henry is not exactly about the points, but for Henry, we've got that ultimate star quality. He's the image of the monarchy. He's the one that's got this incredible soap opera life with the six wives, all of these incredible people at court, the reformation, the dissolution of the monasteries. And I think he's also more, weirdly, more relatable than Edward I. You know, he marries for love. We've got very clear ego and ambition from Henry that comes through. We've got insecurities. He has the absolute textbook definition of a midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) If they just had Porsches around in the 1540s, it would have been a lot, lot better for everybody. But he's a real person that jumps off the page, whereas Edward, you know, you called Henry V, Henry Mark V. I mean, old robot Edward. I disagree, because it's just that people aren't as aware of it. If you talk about soap opera life, (laughs) you've got... it it plays out like a film. You've got he married for love as well. He's got that determination. He goes to crusade, meets a bartender called Alfonso, has a baby, <laughs> comes back, does these massive wars. The assassin. Uh, he's still there at sixty eight on his horse. It's business time. He is uh, just a tyrant, and that does make for an interesting story. But is it Rex Factor? I think what else you've got with Henry VIII is imagination. Mm-hmm. See, Henry is told he can't get divorced. Most people would think, well, that's a bit of a pain. Henry thinks, well, I'm just going to start a completely new church and break a thousand years of history. <laughs> yeah, No bother, I'll just yeah. do that. Um, what else is he do? Ireland was tricky, so he says, well, I'll just be king of Ireland then. <laughs> Edward conquers Wales and Scotland, never actually declares himself you know, emperor of Britain or something like Athelstan did no. several hundred years previously. Edward is just all about this person owes me homage. He has not given me homage. I will invade. <laughs> now I have my homage. I will go home. Yeah. Fine. Job done. It's no so, colour. It's boring. Henry VIII is colourful. Castles. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, well, we're not going to agree. So I think you're going to have to make the decision for us. Now, we mentioned some very complicated uh, electioneering mechanism. You should all have a card. On one side, it will be red. And on the other side, it will be green. Now, last night, I confused myself with which color was which. But Uh (laughs) what you're going to need to do is show us the color that you want to win. So if you want Edward I to win, we'll say red for Redwood. Oh, nice. Very good. And uh, a green for Henry VIII. So if you want Edward I to win... You need to show us the green. And if you want Henry VIII to win, you need us to show us the green. <laughs> oh, did Henry I... VIII, the colour of envy. Did I confuse things? Just just show us the green and then that will be <laughs> Red for Edward I, green for Henry VIII. Yeah. And then Ali's going to take a picture right, yeah, so, so that we can find out uh, try and work out. Maybe okay. a video, actually, because okay, the last yeah. picture didn't include everybody. Yeah. So after three, three, two, one... Ah, oh, that's a seal. Oh, look at that! I, I mean, I see a lot of greens over here. <laughs> a lot of greens on the left. I that's am a green. very happy. Thank you, everyone. There are some more greens. You've not counted all the no, greens. No, no, I, I totally agree. There are some greens. <laughs> but I'm afraid red tomatoes 
have it. Well, I don't quite know how this has happened, but it it would <laughs> Thank appear you very much. Edward the First has won Yay! the Battle of the Favourites. Well done, Edward the First. Fantastic. <laughs> Happy days. Oh, you know, we were driving up here on the motorway and Graham was talking to me from an incredibly well-informed standpoint. I thought, I don't set a chance here. <laughs> uh, so I'm just very glad that Edward's personality and just raw achievement shone through there. It's funny, like when we did the Scottish series and we actually did a bit more Edward the First, I did, I never actually said, but I did think to myself, oh, he is actually quite impressive, I suppose. Yes, yes he and is. Henry VIII, maybe not the most terrible. He didn't even need a cod. Well, exactly. <laughs> Again, that's a quality of Henry VIII. That, uh -huh. he, you know, he didn't just have a cod piece, he had a massive cod piece. Yeah. I mean, he goes all out. But uh, sadly, it wasn't enough to win over the voters of Bristol. Brilliant. Thank you, Bristol. Yeah, so thank you so much. That's the end of uh, the, the battle of the favourites. But um, we're now going to do, if anyone's got any questions, we're going to do a uh, Q&A. Um, so if anyone wants to ask us anything about these two monarchs, any of the other monarchs from the series, future series, other history stuff, what we watched on TV recently, <laughs> uh, then please do ask. If you want to say hello to us afterwards and not on microphone, then um, do stick around. We've also got some T-shirts that Ali is oh, going to be yeah, yeah. modelling for you. Don't worry. It, it's not anything dodgy. Don't worry. But could you hold my T-shirt down? So I don't want to give anyone a, a, a show. Um, right. So here we are. Woo! Live tours on the back, but we'll be selling those. And uh, yeah, so if you don't want to ask questions in front of everyone, that's fine. We're... We're going to be hanging around having a drink afterwards, so come and say hello. Yeah. Don't run away, please. It's nice to <laughs> chat to people that we've spent years talking to but never seen. So apart from Don and Susie, of course. <laughs> Susie, sorry. <laughs> so any questions from anybody? This is one here. A question about whether Edward I's reign was influenced by the reforms of Simon de Montfort. Mm. Yeah, possibly, because um, early, as I said, early on, Edward I does actually sort of throw some support behind the reformers um, and does accept that there are changes that need to be made um, in governance. And whilst you might think initially, well, he's just saying that because that's what he needs to say to get over the problem that there are all these rebellious earls he can't do anything about, it does seem that actually when he becomes king, he does actually rule in a slightly more consensual way. We see with the parliaments that he's actually consulting more. There's an establishment that you have to have, um, you know, the consent of the realm for raising taxes. He does have these lengthy parliaments. And the first thing he does pretty much when he comes in is actually re-establish royal order across the country. He accepts that on the one hand, he wants to have lots of personal control, but also that if the job's not being done very well, that's not what's good for the country. He's got this sense of what a medieval king is meant to do. So I think, yeah, possibly it does rub off on him a bit, but perhaps not the slightly more egalitarian democratic ideal. It was still very much Edward I at the top <laughs> and everybody else down below, but maybe he was a little bit more reformist than you might have expected. Was Henry VIII responsible for Brexit? Please note the question was worded in a funny way which made everybody laugh. <laughs> Good point. We're apolitical on this show. No swearing, no politics. But Graham. Well, it has. Yeah, it does sometimes. 
if you if you were going to write an historical novel and you wanted to be slightly satirical, it wouldn't be too difficult to do the dissolution and all of the Reformation and make it a bit of a parallel, perhaps. So in some ways, you can see parallels. Um, but on the other hand, I think he's still quite a European in his outlook, Henry VIII. He still he just wanted a bit of glory, and then nobody would let him play ball, so he has to go a different way. I think, think secretly he still kind of wanted the Pope to be his friend. It's just he didn't, yeah, play ball. didn't agree. I, so I don't think uh, I don't think we'll hold him completely responsible for uh, for Brexit. But it's interesting though that you do start. It's the first time you do get. Uh, an English sense of otherness, like before, they, everyone followed the same rules in Europe, and there was, you know, there was an idea of monarchy. And then we all, when we went our separate way, there was definitely a sense of us and them. And maybe that feeds through. Like maybe mm. that's the start of the. Uh, you could draw a line from that straight to the Sun headline of Europe cut off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, but I think there's something to that. I like mm. that a lot. Yeah. Got one, one, one. Start over here, and then we'll. What are the origins of the assassins? Well, I believe they were called assassin because they were, they used to be called hash hash, hash, hash <laughs> assassins. They were high. And um, <laughs> they, then the H was dropped and it became assassin. Uh, and they were from the Morocco where all this hash was grown and uh, uh, employed uh, by the uh, Saracens to to go straight in and just think, well, this is easy. We'll just kill clearly the most powerful person in Europe, <laughs> coolest man around. He's got to go. Um, beyond that, I don't. I don't. I really think know the, much, like, the immediate. Oh, it was. It, they were poisoned uh, swords and daggers and stuff. They they got right close. So it was. It wasn't like a uh, an arrow or something. They were designed uh, designed trained to come in really close and definitely definitely carry out the job. You know, mortal blow stuff. Well, those almost sort of ninja style. They sort yeah. of sneak in quietly, just very quickly get in, get out again mm. without being stopped. Though obviously, in but this case, not in this case, came up against the wrong man. In my mind, it's a bit like that incident where, yeah, yeah exactly, or where Ozzy Osbourne just, just waving it. around. <laughs> yeah, and Edward just kills him easy. Uh, but uh, you know, when Ozzy Osbourne confronted two burglars in his house. Utterly naked. I imagine it it was absolutely as terrifying for the assassin as it was for these burglars. Well, I think the immediate context was that um, a peace uh, treaty had just been drawn up. And I think Edward was quite vehemently opposed oh, yeah, that's to true. it. So I think that was perhaps why he was targeted, because he was maybe seen as the dangerous figure that was going to prolong the war and mm. get in the way. So I think that's why Edward in particular was singled out mm. for, uh, for assassination. Rather but, than Louis. Yeah. yeah. Well, Louis was dead at that. I, that oh, was, it? That was part of why it was. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. We'll we'll get back to you. On. <laughs> but yeah, after that, I think Edward realised that it wasn't nothing was going to come of the crusade, so he had to relent and agree to the peace treaty anyway. But yeah. Mm. A long and cogent question, the details of which largely now escape me, but based on my answer, seems to involve the issue of why some monasteries are destroyed and others are not. Mm. Yes, I mean, in theory, they were meant to um, go along with what they were, the um, the abbots of the monasteries were meant to go along with certain regulations from Henry. They were meant to sign over and give money and stuff. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure why some were destroyed and some weren't. I'm not sure, actually, if they were all necessarily torn down 
and destroyed so much as actually that a lot of the wealth would have been taken out of them and maybe then they get abandoned and then gradually um, become ruins. But like you said, obviously there are other ones. Yeah, take the roof. Take the roof, take all of the money. Load of lead on that though. All of the money. Pretty penny. But yeah, as you say, like, you know, you've got Westminster Abbey, you've got York Minster, you've got all these other wonderful cathedrals that keep on going. So I've got to admit, I'm not actually 100% sure why the ones that didn't don't. In in Ely Cathedral, in the Lady Chapel, there's all these uh, arches where they used to have uh, stone figures that were very, very Catholic uh, imagery. And if you look there now, they're just all empty. And uh, I think quite wisely before the Reformation came along, just, you know, it was, it was clearly coming. The, uh, um, the dean, I guess it would be, of the cathedral, uh, painted a whole load of Tudor roses all over the <laughs> ceiling. And I, th- I imagine a lot of it was just playing to his, uh, it, you know, just playing up to his um, ego and just saying, look, we love you here. Don't we? we got rid of all that tat. <laughs> look at the ceiling. And uh, he probably gave him a roast chicken and sent him on his way. Fine. I mean, I suppose it may just be actually in terms of categorization that some of you know, the cathedrals and the churches perhaps were just cathedrals and churches, whereas oh. the monasteries, the abbeys are actually this whole sort of way of life. Some of them will have converted into churches and survived. Perhaps other ones were just such huge, powerful things that actually they were brought down. Mm. Mm. I mean, they're sources of such wealth, aren't they? I think they're too, too juicy looking for him to you know <laughs> give up these the load of the churches a lot of them were relatively poor so i guess this they just look too tempting with all their farms and everything mm. yeah. oh sorry why did henry the seventh not get the rex factor ah so Henry VII didn't get the X Factor, and um, he's probably after Edgar, the one that we've had the most. Yeah. Um, oh, and Richard. Edgar the Peaceful, yeah. who didn't get the X Factor yeah. notoriously. <laughs> but yeah, after that, Henry VII is probably the one that gets mentioned the uh, the most. And yeah, I know what you mean because he's in many ways incredibly successful. He comes to the throne by battle. He has to retain the throne by battle when the Wars of the Roses really ends with uh, battle at Stoke, and that's really when the the last proper challenge comes. Um, the country's in quite a bad way and he builds up the nation's finances, this huge wealth, which Henry then completely splurges on palaces and French campaigns and all sorts of nonsense. Um, yeah, so in many ways, that would sound like the ideal Rex Factor candidate. I think, really, it was things like the battliness was not necessarily much to do with him. It was more, you know, he had people who were good at doing the battles and they were in charge and Henry was just kind of watching at the back and I think it was still a period where you might expect the king to be doing that sort of thing you know at Bosworth Richard III dies not calling for a horse but actually in the thick of the fighting charging to take out Henry Tudor so you feel like that was what you want a Rex Factor winning king in a battle to be doing at that period whereas Henry is perhaps more maturely letting everybody else fight it out (laughs) and then governing yeah, yeah. <laughs> charging back. I think he just didn't quite jump out for us as a character. I think that was the thing. Was he was me, just yeah. a good, effective, but he didn't have that star quality that we mm. were looking for. Yeah, I think that was the problem. I couldn't, yeah, it was, he just, his personality didn't have it for me. He didn't have, like, he was clearly great at, at kinging, but he just didn't have that star quality. I, I think it was just, 
we were being very, very uh, uh, strict to the rules of what Rex Factor meant. Did, and did he have? Does he have that style quality? Probably not. Really good. Probably not quite. Because in terms of kingship, you were to compare Henry the Seventh to Henry the Eighth. You say, well, probably Henry the Seventh actually really does a better mm. job of yeah. being a king than Henry the Eighth. But Henry the Eighth just has so much about him that. Mm. Yeah, and I think also like there was um, quite a good book that was written about him after we did the episode called um, <coughs> about Her- the Winter King by I think it's Thomas Penn, I think it is, and that actually went into more detail. And actually, he does have a bit more colour to his court than he's sometimes given reputation for. There was a bit more culture and spending on dances and money and whatnot. So perhaps if um, perhaps if we'd read that, I might have emphasize some of those things a little bit more rather than just the dark and miserly reputation that he has. He's a bit like perhaps um, Henry IV who comes before Henry V and Henry IV has to do all of the really hard work of taking the throne, dealing with lots of rebellion, making a lot of unpopular decisions because you've got to shore up the new regime and make it secure and that meant that Henry V was then able to just go around conquering France and doing lots of things Henry VIII was able to just then spend lots and lots of money and be quite extravagant. So maybe you need uh, a bit of a, what's the word, a not forgotten hero, an un- unsung hero that comes first, that doesn't quite get the glory that their successor does, but actually without them, it wouldn't have been possible. Mm. So I think, you're, I think there's a good case to be made for Henry VII, but I think it was just that lack of star quality that meant we didn't quite go for it. Not convinced, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go for it. Yeah. How do the monarchs fare for worldliness? Ooh. Worldliness, oh, that's an interesting one, yeah. Us personally, or just the actual monarchs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, were they? Because obviously, when, I guess it depends on what's happening. So obviously, Edward I, compared to Henry VIII, I imagine, would have been much more aware of. Yes, he would the wider world. Although equally, of course, Henry VIII, we're just starting to see the discovery of America and that sort of thing. But yeah, the, the, I think they all have a certain amount of isolationism about them. And I don't know whether that's because if you're a sole monarch and a king, you've just got to be so focused on just getting that job done that it's maybe hard to... Yeah, exactly, the island nation. But yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I'm trying to think which ones would have been... And I suppose, unfortunately, the ones that are going to think more global are going to be the ones that are just conquered more of the globe. So I guess Victoria is probably the most, you know, <laughs> global in her view, but that's because she sees most of the world as being hers. Hers, yeah. yeah. And writes about it incessantly. God. <laughs> God. Yeah, I think it's really once they start developing a larger empire that they start. But I mean, that's it. It's an interesting thing with Elizabeth. That um, again, this was published after we did the episode. But um, there's a book about Elizabeth in the uh, Islamic world, and that actually they had lots of ambassadors that came over, and from what was, it, what was his name? The well, anyway, whoever it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were actually a lot of connections between Elizabethan England and the Islamic world that you don't imagine at all. So actually, these Elizabethan portraits of ambassadors that came mm-hmm. over. And you imagine that at this point we're either just thinking about Europe or just discovering America, whereas actually there were more connections that were being made, but some some of these get forgotten. Yeah. Is that yeah. yeah, Edward was definitely mindful yeah. of that one. Yeah. To what extent?
extent is Henry VIII's fame due to the portraits of the Tudor court rather than Henry himself? Hmm. Well, that's, a, yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's Holbein is the one that kind of has the Rex factor because it's that amazing image that just seems to define what it is. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's I read um, so I've a little bit of research. I mean, I don't know what research Ali's been doing in advance of this, but... Uh, <laughs> There's a <laughs> yeah, I did. You've seen me. I've been watching loads of The West Wing. <laughs> but um, there's uh, the last few years, then um, Penguin have been doing these really great series of books on not quite all of the monarchs from Athelstan to today, but they do start with Athelstan, and they've almost done it now. But they're quite nice, sort of hundred-page books, but by kind of proper leading historians, so it's not just a very simple pitted biography is actually a take on the monarch as well but it's quite short and accessible so i was rereading some of them and um with henry the eighth i'm now trying to remember what i was actually about to say because i got distracted by the penguin influenced by holbein and he was saying that something actually that he thought that henry the eighth probably would have missed because he was just too egocentric to see this is that actually holbein doesn't just capture this incredible power but he also captures a slightly nastier elements like the arrogance of someone that stands there like this looking at the crowd with his legs split and all this sort of stuff that actually it projects in some ways a bit of a negative character of henry VIII as well it's not just power it's actually slightly unpleasant traits but i think you're right that without those images it just wouldn't be the same i think that's part of why the tudors appeal to so many people is that we actually see the faces not just the monarchs but all of the courtiers as well there's mm. so much more written and diaries and all the accounts from ambassadors. We suddenly have so much information that it feels much more vivid. Imagine if we'd have had a Holbein of Edward I in full battle <laughs> regalia with a sword. He would have looked amazing. It's just so disappointing that there isn't something for Edward. Yeah. Like we were looking for images for Edward for some of the merchandise and things. and for Oh, for the for this, actually. For, yeah, for yeah, the, yeah. Um, Ah, it's just they all look these funny boys got these funny fingers. Yeah, all, yeah, exactly. They all look like Gollum, just with a crown on, and they're all st- <laughs> yeah, or upside down, <laughs> and or, or standing next to a castle that's the same height as them. You think, oh, come on, L- learn to draw. <laughs> uh, it's nice, actually. I've got I've got the Penguin Monarchs book with me, but I've got the paperback that doesn't have um, an image on. But the hardbacks have all got these really interesting new images on the front of them. And um, we can go- can Google it afterwards. The Edward the First one is an absolute horror show. He looks weird. Why? It just really liked this. Is it a bit Picasso-y? Oh yes, you did show me that. Yeah, because they um, uh, all of the covers are done by different artists, aren't yeah. they? That, yeah, and they took quite a dark view or dim view <laughs> of Edward. There, he does look like an evil man in his yeah. tower. Yeah, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Sorry. What plans are there for future series of Rex Factor? Yeah, so um, in the new year, we're going to be starting the third series where we're going to be doing um, the Queen and Prince Consorts of England. Yes, one person, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, I think at some point, I think we will do. I think the thing we wanted to do, we might even have wanted to have done the consorts after the English series because we've covered so many of these amazing figures like obviously Eleanor of Aquitaine is one that gets a lot of interest. Henry VIII's wives are all incredibly interesting. There are lots and lots of other ones as well that play a really important role 
in English history. I think it'd be great to be able to focus on them. We wanted to go to the Scots just because we thought, well, we've just finished the English. We don't want to go all the way back just to start at the beginning again. But yeah, I think after this series, we're going to be, after this next series, however long that takes us, we will probably cross the sea. I think that's and, the uh, main trouble is time. It just takes else. so long to, yeah. for Graham to do the research. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it, it takes me hours, you know, literally hours. <laughs> I need to take a leaf out of your book because yeah. you are ready to go anytime. Just tell like, the end, send me a text. I always say, yeah, I'm free. Whatever. Just hurry up. Um, but that's the trouble. That's the, that's the bottleneck at the moment. But as soon as we, you know, we're looking at ways to... Uh, to free up some more of your time and we can hopefully get some get some more Graham means more Rex Factor. <laughs> but yeah, so we look at, you know, potentially I'm not sure which one we do next. There's the French, the Tsars, the Romans. The presidents. Presidents. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Could be good. There's loads. There's I mean, yeah. It's very exciting. We can go anywhere with it, really. Yeah. Someone at the back. Yeah. As a prelude to their question, it is pointed out that we did a special on Isambard Kingdom Brunel. We did, and uh, we the people to thank for that are here today. Yeah. <laughs> would Brunel have made a good king? Ooh, that's a good question. Don, would you like to answer that? <laughs> Privy Councillor Don Clark, who commissioned the special episode on Isambard Kingdom Brunel, proceeds to give a very good and thoughtful answer. <laughs> Sadly, not picked up by the microphone. Well, it sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, a bit like Gordon Brown, isn't it? You're describing there. Like, is there a king that had those traits that you could make a parallel to? Well, I was thinking that almost sounds like lots of. I mean, I was thinking when saying about you know the details and stuff. I think, oh, we're getting onto a sort of a Henry the Seventh oh, yeah, era yeah, details yeah. man doing yeah. the paperwork. Imagine if Brunel built a castle. Oh, <laughs> imagine. Yes. That. <laughs> yeah, fantastic it would be able to be run by one person just pulling a lever here and there fantastic it would be like an edward the first castle it'd be far 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 bigger and better than it actually needed yeah, to be yeah, yeah, exactly, but because yeah. it would be the best possible castle yeah, yeah. it would be the best possible castle yeah. but yeah I, th I think he would have been a good king i think he would, he's got the imagination <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like edward, yeah 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 too much money actually getting it finished yeah around the corner hello what would Henry and Edward be up to if they were around today? Is it Edward and Henry? Oh, comes. Uh, well, Henry would be in a straitjacket. <laughs> we'd not be allowed in public, surely. Uh, massive straitjacket. Uh, I think, I don't know, I think, feel like Edward would probably be uh, running some sort of protection racket. He'd be a, he'd be a mobster. And uh, just intimidating people, but being tremendously successful at it. <laughs> well, if you yeah. were to stick them into the modern royal family, I think if we ha we can have a young Henry VIII being Prince Harry. Yeah. He was a bit of a party king. And I think Edward I surely would be the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. Shorn of his powers, he'd just be quite yeah. grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> Marching yeah, along, absolutely. relentlessly carrying on. Yeah. I mean, whatever they say, I'm just saying what I like. But oh, just grumpy yeah. with everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ready with the scandal bell. <laughs> it's ready. What is your favourite piece of scandal from Rex Factor? Ooh, favourite scandal. I don't know why I hit my belly. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I often outsource 
my memory to Graham for things like this. Like, which ones did I like? I can't remember. <laughs> There's so many. Genuine question. The, uh, there was the, the Saxons where Dunstan interrupted quite a... No, uh, I, nothing with him. <laughs> I don't want to have a memory of him, thank you very much. Uh, I quite enjoyed the, um, the, quite a lot of the Georgian scandal. Mm. That was brilliant. Like, st- probably stealing a navy. <laughs> I think that's really punchy. Yeah, William, I mean, William IV was... Uh, yeah. Before he was king, but he was sort of technically yeah. meant to be having some naval role, and then he got a bit cross and then just stole it. Yeah, just went off for a jaunt with the home fleet. I, I mean, normally it has to have a little bit of everything for me, a little bit of sex with nuns, perhaps, a, little, you know, a bit of violence, but really just stealing a navy is fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. What about you, actually? You're not always so well, I was thinking with No, I love, I love the scandal. I, I mean, I really like... That's one of the nice things doing the research is when you get a bit of scandal, I think, oh, Ali is going to love this. That's, <laughs> this is going in. There's a whole lot of footnotes explaining why it probably didn't happen. I thought, nah, no, 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 it's, it's going in, it's going in. Uh, like tomorrow night in uh, Oxford, we're doing Charles II against George IV. So I think that's probably going <laughs> to oh, yeah. be quite a long list of scandals. So I think I'm quite looking forward to I that. I think wait. funny little quotes is quite nice. It's just a nice thing with Charles, a little yeah. bit of witticism to go alongside it. Definitely. As a prelude to the question, it is pointed out that somewhere there is something named after Dunstan. Oh, no, I've parked there before. Yeah. Why does Ali hate Dunstan? (laughs) Oh. You see, naturally, I thought you were going to say, why does everything get named after him? I genuinely thought that's where you're going. Um, There's a reason. Because I just feel like it was quite early on in the Saxon stuff. And I was really getting into scandal. I thought, this is my category here. I was loving this. <laughs> and every time Graham, he knows how to press my buttons. And every time something was ramping up, ramping up, in comes Dunstan, the fun sponge, and just <laughs> removes all, <laughs> removes every element. And, and the thing is, he kept coming back. And he kept doing it and kept doing it. And, oh, I couldn't believe my luck when he died, to be honest. And just <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> But then you got him back in wherever possible. With the Scottish series, he came back, yeah. Oh, And the thing is, I think because Graham knew I didn't like him, he kept bringing him up wherever possible, so it made me hate him even more. And then then Graham buys me uh, little presents of little Dunstan dolls. On St Dunstan's Day. Yeah, it always celebrates St Dunstan's Day. Who rid me of this troublesome priest? (laughs) It was just so annoying. It's just annoying. Any others? Any others? Yeah, go for another one. <laughs> Were Edward I's castles really worth all the money he spent on them? <laughs> I mean, uh, objectively, no. <laughs> but uh, when you look at them today, you can't help but think it's a inc- magnificent thing. It's nearly a thousand years old, and they're still. You'd, it would take a pretty heavy bit of military machinery to get through it now. It's uh, and they're stunningly beautiful, even if they're ruinous. Uh, yeah, I think it was worth it. I'd definitely, <laughs> definitely. Even if it costs three quarters of the <laughs> of the nation's uh, uh, total output, yeah, definitely worth it. Well, if there are, oh sorry, oh, no, go on. There yeah. are there plans to do anything more with Rex Factor, the animated show? <laughs> 
I mean, I'm sure a lot of that was probably just because Ali and I just took a bit too long to actually record the initial episode yeah, for Tom and uh, Mike actually to do the work. You actually heard Mike at the start, the person telling you that it was seven o'clock. Uh, we thought it was going to be seven o'clock. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everyone really is looking at their watches. It's like, that was ages ago, seven <laughs> o'clock. Um, yeah, we're having a um, little bit of a break for um, poor old Tim Mouse that had to spend so much hard time doing all of the animation. The last few months, they were really just flat out getting it done. But I think in the new year, we're going to have a, have a chat and think about what we want to do because we really love doing it. And um, we did something that we wanted to do and that we thought that you know people that like the podcast would do. What we might do when we think about potentially doing more is whether we want to do exactly the same thing again, or maybe we might target, you know, sort of more educational market, do it in a slightly different Short, way, maybe shorter yeah. episodes rather than the full one. So, yeah, we're going to look at uh, potentially doing more. We're just not quite sure what yeah, format we it would take yet. And thanks so much to everyone who backed us in the Kickstarter yeah. to get that made. You know, it was it was so generous of everyone to enable it to happen, and we're really pleased with the outcome. We just need, uh, we um, well, we need to talk to some more broadcasters and stuff about perhaps getting it on the telly. We're not sure, but and if, if that happens, then there would be the backing to do more. But at the moment, we're we're we'll see. Hopefully, fingers crossed. It's not it's not definitely over. We're definitely going to do something else. Just what form that takes, we're not quite sure yet. Yeah. I see. A question about the noses in the animated show. <laughs> <laughs> that came up so many times. Like, and up. before someone said it, I'd never noticed. And you're always on the lookout for... Yeah, I am. I am. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But um, for, yeah, for anyone that hasn't seen the animation, the noses have quite a distinctive style. And some people think that they have a slightly... Phallic element. Phallic element, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I felt really bad for Mike when we did a premiere at the Richard III Visitor Centre in Leicester and we were doing a Q&A like this and then Ali's partner put her hand up and we thought, oh, that's good, a nice easy, easy one, question. Yeah. And then she said, what would you think about the nose design? Because, you know, a lot of people have mentioned about that and we were like, oh, crikey, yeah. that'd yeah. be an easy question, Becca. And afterwards she said, well, I thought someone was going to ask it, so I might as well be me and I'll phrase it nicely. <laughs> Just don't... <laughs> but yes, they do. They do look like penises. Uh, uh, I mean, that's just maybe think of it as an Easter egg, and whether <laughs> that's a horrible thought, isn't it? Sorry, like Easter egg in the DVD sense. Not <clears throat> on on that note. If uh, <laughs> if no one's got any other questions, feel free to ask us questions at the end and come up and just say hello and be great to meet you all. But um, yeah, just thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being such a great audience. Thank yeah. you um, to. Trying to remember where we are now. The old bookshop. The old bookshop. Yep. <laughs> for um, everything and getting everything all set up, um, we didn't provide the best <laughs> equipment mm -hmm. for everything. So thanks so much for getting that sorted. Thanks to Kilimanjaro and Wise Buddha for organising the whole tour for us. We would never have managed to do it if we'd actually had to organise it no. ourselves. <laughs> Get it. No. But yes. Thank you very very much for coming. Yeah. It's been absolutely You make brilliant. it worthwhile. Thank you very much. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.